You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Whoa, that doesn't wake you up, nothing will. Thank you, Dave, for putting that together for us. I appreciate that and make me want to dance in front of everybody, but I'll hold back, I'll hold back. I'll spare you of that image. So here we are, we're in this summer series we're calling Page Turner, and we are going through the book of Acts because the book of Acts is a page turner of a story. And so as we, oftentimes in the summer, Find a good book to read, to take to vacation that, that keeps us interested. If you've never read Acts, or even if you have in the past, it's worth going through again because there's so much in here that, that we can glean from. This is uh, part of our annual theme that we're calling Step Forward. It comes from uh, the idea in Scripture that says, since we live by the Spirit, as it says in Galatians, let's keep in step with the Spirit. So we're learning. What does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? And what better place to learn from as we wrap up this annual theme in the book of Acts, which is really the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the early church. It's all about how the Spirit of God was involved in laying the foundation upon which you and I are standing today. This is our spiritual ancestry. Everybody wants to find out their DNA. This is your spiritual DNA. Right here are your roots to what we are doing here this morning. So I encourage you to come every Sunday to follow us as we walk through this story of the book of Acts because it's your story. It's your story and it's my story. And as with any good story, any 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 elementary uh, reading comprehension course you take, it's going to say, find out the thesis sentence for the, for the story, for the book. Find out what the book's all about at the beginning, so that when you read it, you'll see what the plans, what the intentions of the writer are about. And we have in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1-8, this is the theme sentence, the theme statement for the whole writing of the book of Acts. When Luke wrote the book of Acts, he wanted us to know what it was going to be about. And so he, he said, and he recalled what Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. That's what it's all about. Jesus says, I'm going to be leaving. I'm going away, but I'm not going away. I'm going away, but I'm staying. I'm going away, but I'm going to be here. And guess who I'm going to be in? You. I'm going to be here through you. I'm not going away because you're staying. In fact, he said, if I go away, you can do even greater things than I can do because there's more of you than there is of me. And so when Jesus said he was going away, he said, but you're going to be me. You're going to be my, you're going to bear witness to who I am, what I did, and wherever you go, whether it is here in Jerusalem or out to Judea or Samaria or to the uttermost parts of the earth, I'm going to be with you. So, so this is the thesis of Luke's writing in Acts. Luke, the writing of the gospel, volume one of Luke was the gospel of Luke, volume two of Luke is the continuation of the story through the early church. And guess who's the continuation of the story now? We're it. If this story continues, it will continue 
through you and through me. We are the continuation of Acts. So uh, this is why it is so interesting. It's not just a story, a historical account. It's not just a a fictional story. It's a non-fictional story, but it's a historical story, but it is your story and it is our story. And so we've broken Acts into three parts and really coming from that thesis verse, we find it. The first part is what happened in Jerusalem and we called that Awaken. Volume one of our Page Turner trilogy was all about Awaken because the early church was awakened to the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They they didn't know what Jesus said. He said, hey, wait, stay here. When it comes, you'll know it. It came, they knew it. The Spirit of God came upon them and God used them. Peter was awakened to the fact that he wasn't a failure any longer, but Peter was actually going to be the rock upon which Jesus said he would build his church. And you know what? All these people that started coming, getting added to the church, these 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, another total of 5,000 within the first time period, brief time period, this new community, they were awakened to a new way of relating to one another. I mean, these people were unlike anybody else in the history of humanity because they actually loved one another. And it didn't matter if you were rich or poor. It didn't matter if you were male or female. It didn't matter if you were Greek or Jew, they came together and they cared for one another. They shared with one another. They did this thing called koinonia, which means this fellowship that was was of a different level because those who had shared with those who didn't have, and they came together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to breaking bread, and it was just to use a bad word, perhaps for it, nirvana on earth. It was this, it was this spiritual, it was just this perfect community that they had. Now, they weren't without problems, and we will find that, that uh, they had their challenges too. But they were all awakened to how life could be when people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Something else was going on underneath the surface. As they were awakened to what God was doing in the Holy Spirit and through them, and there was another group of people that were awakened to the threat that this community could be. They were the religious authorities, the Jewish leadership, the power brokers of Jerusalem, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the people who conspired with the Romans to crucify Jesus were seeing that these people were believing that this Jesus that they conspired to crucify, they believed he rose from the dead and that there's this resurrection from the dead that didn't fit their theology. And all this popular movement and this sort of uprising that was happening among the people became a threat to their position of power. And what does power do when it's threatened? It threatens back. It pushes back. And so there was an awakening going on there. The big question that we were asking in the first series of this trilogy that we're doing this summer is, are you woke yet? Are you woke to the power of the Spirit in your life? Are you woke to what Christ can do in you and through you? Are you woke to the needs that are around you, that Jesus is wanting us, you, me, all of us, corporately and individually to say, we want to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. We want to be a part of the answers. We want to be the healing of Christ into broken lives and broken world. Are you woke yet to that? And the Spirit of God can wake you to that. 
But again, as we said, there were those that were awoke to the threat that that could be to their positions of power and authority. And so last week we came to Acts chapter 7, which is where Stephen was made an example for the rest of the believers. Stephen, if you recall last week, the word here, Stephen, one of the first that were elected or selected to lead this new community of believers. He and six others were chosen because they were full of the Holy Spirit and they, they, they were gifted by God to, to lead and to help make sure that the needs of the people were met equitably among the Jews and the Greeks and the, the, the widows and orphans were all taken care of equally and there wasn't any favoritism among the people. So these people that had great integrity and great giftings were selected to be their leader. Stephen, one of them, and we see the story of Stephen where he starts telling the story and God uses him and all of a sudden the authorities say, we need to make example of somebody and they chose Stephen and in front of everybody, a guy by the name of Saul who was leading the charge to crush this uprising gave the order, stone him to death. Stone him to death. These people, where everything was going well, all of a sudden were told, you do this, you act like him, this will happen to you too. You better not teach about Jesus. You better stop this believing in a resurrection. You better stop it now or you're going to be stoned also. That was the threat that came down upon them. And so we see here in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, this transition from volume 1 to volume 2 of our trilogy, it says that on that day, great, the day that Stephen was, 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 was stoned, Seth, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. What did Jesus say? You will bear witness to me. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and where else? Judea and Samaria. You see the transition there. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Pause. Just think for a second. You're there. You're in that community. You see this happen before your very eyes. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What are you going to do? But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, dragging off both men and women and put them in prison, putting them in prison. Stephen, well-loved by the community, courageous, gifted speaker, leader, brutally murdered by a mob of religious extremists, and like the Nazis rounding up Jews in Warsaw in World War II, Saul led the charge to round up all these Jesus followers in Jerusalem, and like refugees fleeing war, these believers had to either go to prison or run for their lives, and so they ran for their lives, they scattered, they left Jerusalem. And you're among those that are leaving under the threat of if you talk, this could happen to you. Now, Jerusalem sits on the top of the mountain. Everywhere from Jerusalem is downward, downhill. And notice what it says. As they went, those who were scattered 
preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to Samaria. It goes on to say in Acts chapter 8. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed and or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. And so we see here that, 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 that Philip, one of the seven, very close friend, companion of Stephen, one of the seven who were chosen, is going out. And as he is going out, as he is leaving, he goes and shares wherever he went, and those like him did the same. And this goes back to what Jesus said at the end of Matthew's gospel. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the implication is there, now I'm giving it to you. Therefore, go. And the tense of the verb go, the word go there is this indicative active. It's a continuous sense. In other words, it's saying, as you are going, anywhere you go, wherever your path takes you, wherever it leads you, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you always. I'll be with you. I'm going with you. I'm going with you. How am I going to go with you? The Holy Spirit's going to be in you. That's me in you. The Holy, I'm going to go with you. Everywhere you go, I'm going to go with you. And so Philip, hey, I can't do it in Jerusalem. I'll just go down the road to the next town, and it's going to be a Samaritan town. Now, we have to think about this for just a second. Samaritans and Jews. Jews and Palestinians today, very similar. You know, you see it on the news all the time, the animosity between Jews and Palestinians, not unlike what was going on back then between Jews and Samaritans. Jews were looked down upon by the Romans and the Greeks, but everybody has to have somebody looked down upon, so the Jews got to find somebody. Let's make it the Samaritans, and let's just be honest with ourselves we all tend to have somebody that we can look down upon to make ourselves feel good, don't we? Oh, I know you don't. <clears throat> Everybody has biases. Everybody makes judgments about people. And it's usually people that they don't really know that well. It's easy to categorize people and put people into boxes because we don't know them very well and we can have somebody that's not quite as good as us that we can look down upon. And that's how Jews treated Samaritans. Samaritans, they were the lowlifes. They were the people that didn't believe in the orthodox teachings of Jewish Judaism. They kind of had this, they, they, they were Jews, but then they intermarried with the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and so they just had this whole hodgepodge of religions, and 
they just believed God in different ways. And so if you don't believe God the way I don't believe the way I believe God, then you're worthy of my ire. Think about that. If you don't believe God the way I believe God, you're going to hell. If you're going to hell, then your life's not worth it, and it justifies all kinds of evil in the world today. Right? There's not anybody that goes to war that doesn't pray, that believe that God's on their side, and that justifies their killing. So, that's how the Samaritans were believed to be by the Jews, and everybody has their biases. But Philip goes to Samaria and he says, you know what? This Jesus who was killed by the Jewish authorities was buried. And and you know what? He rose from the dead and he's alive and he's in me. And you know what? He gave me power to pray. Can I pray for you? Let me pray for you. Pray for you. Bam. People are healed. Miracles take place. Signs and wonders. Jesus said, you will go into the world to greater things. Signs will follow. The signs are signs to point people. The miracles aren't the end in themselves. They are the door that opens people's hearts to believing in Jesus. And so God's going to do signs and wonders through you as you are going out to share the good news of God's love and mercy to people. It's not for you to get a big head about how many miracles you can perform. It's about how you can be used by God to tell people there's a God in heaven who died for you, rose from the dead, and loves you and is here for you. It can make your life better. That's the gospel that Philip was sharing with them. So they're believing, and they're coming to faith in him. But as you remember, the apostles stayed in. So the deacons spread out with the other people. They scattered. Apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Peter and John, the head of the church. What's this I hear? The Samaritans are coming to faith? Really? They are even doubting it themselves. So Peter and John go down to Samaria to check it out. It goes on in Acts chapter 8, 14. The apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. They had to send Peter and John to check it out. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Spirit hadn't yet come upon them. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and what? They received the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and this is kind of confusing. What you mean? They believe in Jesus, but they didn't have the Spirit. They did, but they didn't. What's that all about? And this is where our Pentecostal theology comes from. That yeah, we can be believers, but there is this extra undoing of the power of the Holy Spirit. But you know, this empowering of the Holy Spirit, this coming on them was so dramatic that there was this magician, this Samaritan sorcerer named Simon. And he saw that when they laid hands on these people, something happened to them. I believe they were speaking in other tongues, like what happened on the day of Pentecost. But something happened that Simon the sorcerer said, hey, can I buy that trick off of you? That's pretty impressive. Peter and John says, Peter says, no, may your money perish with you. Oh, please, no, no. And it's, it's like um, in the midst of this drama, you see this kind of humorous story in the middle of all of that. And that's just a part of a great story, a great page turner. But this, this experience was as much a sign to Peter and John as it was to the people that they had received the Holy Spirit. Because Peter and John had to be convinced that God would love the Samaritans without them becoming fully Jewish. 
that their theology doesn't have to be perfectly in line with mine for God to love them and accept them. That there wasn't a theology exam to get into heaven. There was a faith in Jesus. He lived, he died, he rose from the dead. And he can forgive you and he loves you. And that's what it took. And the spirit leaps the wall from Judaism to Samaritans. I call I titled this message, A Leap of the Faith. You hear about how we all need to take a leap of faith. Well, sometimes the faith takes a leap too. And the faith of the people leapt from Jerusalem to these Samaritans, these low-life Samaritans. And God says, I don't care how low you are. I love you. And it's interesting because Philip leaves there and an angel goes on and says to him, hey, I want you to go on another trip. Head down to Egypt. You know, when persecution, they all run to Egypt. It's been the history of God's people. When bad things happen, go to Egypt. But go down on the road that's on the desert road that leads to Egypt and just go there. That's all the angel said. Just go there along the road. Well, I don't know why I'm going, but I'm going. Jesus said, go and preach. I'm going to go where he said to go. And so he goes and, and, and he's walking along and lo and behold, it says, he met a, the treasurer of Ethiopia. The treasurer of Ethiopia. You know, well, Ethiopia. Well, Ethiopia back then was a far more powerful country than even Israel was. The treasurer of Ethiopia, independent of the Roman and Greek Authorities, a whole nother continent, part of another continent. Treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, which is a word meaning the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go get next to him. Just, just get close to him. Now imagine, and get this in your head, okay? An official of a country. Remember the queen of Ethiopia, the queen of Sheba, the queen of Ethiopia? It's not an unwealthy country. It is a wealthy country. A man who's the treasurer of this wealthy country is riding in a carriage, Philip doesn't have a carriage. Of course, he gets transported. It's a little even nicer than that. But he's walking, and uh, this rich guy riding in a carriage, reading out loud from the prophet Isaiah. Now, we think, well, he just pulled out his digital device. Oh, no, they didn't have it back then. Oh, he pulled out his Bible. No, there was no printing press back then. Do you realize how rare it is to have a hard copy, synagogues only could afford to buy one copy, one copy of the scrolls. And everybody who belonged to a synagogue in a city would pull all their money together to buy a copy of a synagogue. And here's a man who has his own personal copy going down the road. Wealthy. Little far cry from the Samaritans, right? You see the, you see the distance between the poor outcast Samaritans and this upper crust Ethiopian official, a eunuch. Was, it was not uncommon then to, 
for people that were going to serve in the government uh, to be castrated so they would be trustworthy around the queen or around the king's harems. And they were an official in the government. So here's a man who is a eunuch. I don't know what effects that had on his body or what he looked like. I don't know why he went to Jerusalem, why he bought the scrolls. Was he there on official business? Did he buy them for the queen? Was he, was he there because he was a God-fearer, a God-seeker, and he might have met Jews that had been scattered in the diaspora to Ethiopia, and he wanted to learn about their... I don't know. Was he Jewish already? I doubt that. Maybe because he was a eunuch, he was not welcomed into the temple because there were rules against that. If you're not whole, if you're not like me, God may not like you. The angel says, get close to him. Get close to him. Here's him reading. So I love what the story says. And I could, this story is so fascinating. I'm sorry, I'm just telling too much of it. Let me just go on real quickly here. So Philip ran over and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah and Philip asked, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Now, he might not have understood it because it was, it was written in Hebrew and he was Ethiopian and he probably didn't even understand the language, let alone understand what it meant. It wasn't an Egyptian or an Ethiopian copy of, you know, it wasn't transcribed in his language. And so the guy says, um, how, can, how can I understand unless somebody instructs me? He said, do you understand? Come up here. Can you come up into the carriage and sit with me? Get closer to me. Sit right here with me. And the passage he was reading from, coincidentally, was Isaiah 53. It said, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he didn't open his mouth. He was humiliated and he received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken of the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, who's he talking about? Is he talking about himself, the prophet, or is he talking about somebody else? And beginning with this same scripture, it says, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. I would love to have heard what Philip said, but it probably was something about, you know, this person he's talking about was this person that I've come to believe in, Jesus. He, he was God who came to be one of us and showed us how to live and taught us what life is all about and proved that he was of God and, and loved the outcasts and cared for the for those who others rejected. And he, he had this way about him that, 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 that just drew you to him. And, and, and he, was, he was living a, a way of life that, that nobody else could ever live. And, 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 and yet, yet, yet he was falsely accused. He was innocent. He was murdered, crucified by the Romans and by the Jews. He was buried. They rolled a stone over his grave. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And you know what? He lives. He lives inside of me. He can live inside of you too. 
Do you believe that? We do this ritual. It's called baptism. And baptism symbolizes what I just explained to you. It's about how when you come to faith in Jesus, you're buried with him. Whatever wrongs you did, whatever sin that you have committed, whatever hatred that's in your heart, whatever bitterness you feel, whatever you've gone through, it can be buried. And when we come out of the water, we believe that all that is washed away and we come out like a new person and we are now followers of this Jesus and our role in life is to reflect him and bear witness to him and bring that good news to others. And you can have this too. And just coincidentally on a desert road, the chariot comes upon a pool of water. <clears throat> Just happened. And the chariot driver himself, or the, or the, the eunuch said himself, the Ethiopian said himself, stop the horses, put on the brakes. What's going to keep me from getting baptized? Well, you know, Philip says, well, you have to come to church for so many months. You have to <laughs> tithe. You have to you know, go through catechism and you have to be able to repeat all the right words and you have to say the right prayers and you have to do, give 10% of what you own away and you have to do all of this and then you can't be a eunuch. I don't know how we can fix that. I, you know, so no, Philip says, I don't know, let's do it. And he was baptized. And the gospel went to Africa because of that. That's our story. That's your story. That's our ancestry. That's the good news. Three things I just want to leave with you before we go, real quickly. Number one, what the enemy intends for evil, God can turn around for good. The persecution in Jerusalem was evil. Nothing good about it. It wasn't good. But God allowed that terrible thing to turn into something good for the Samaritans and for the Ethiopians, for the poor and for the rich. And so what I need to take away from that is this. When evil happens to me, when I'm feeling attacked, when they go low, God will use me if I take the high road. God will use me if I don't return evil with evil, but evil with good. If I don't fight with the weapons of this world, if I don't stoop to the level of the person who hurt me or that person who's holding me back, if I can refuse to go there, if I can refuse to, instead of becoming a bitter person, become a better person, then God can do amazing things through me. And I have to believe that God can cause all things, even bad... The bad thing is a bad thing. I'm not going to say that's a good thing that happened in Jerusalem. I will never say that. And so the bad thing is a bad thing. Leave it. It's, it's that. 
but you don't have to live in that. Put that aside and say, okay, now I'm going to live and I'm going to be a better person and I'm going to somehow let God redeem that bad thing and make it good. And I'm not going to be bitter. I'll be better. Number two of three. We're almost there. This is another thing that inspires me. There is no sin so deep, no wall so high, no chasm so wide that the good news cannot hurdle. It crosses the walls of color, the walls of politics, the walls of nationalism, the walls of prejudices, the chasms of all kinds. There is a God in heaven who knows you best and loves you most. And it doesn't matter how low you are or how divided you are. There is a God who loves you. And, and if God, through the good news, hurdles over these walls of biases and prejudices and racism and nationalism and all of those things, then I must not let my biases keep me from getting near to those people who I don't know and welcoming them in and getting close to them and learning how to love people that are different than me even if they don't believe the way I believe. That is the gospel incarnate just like Jesus. That's what we need to believe. And so I need to keep myself Jesus loves all the little children of the world, right? Red and yellow, black and white. They are what? Jesus loves the little children of the world. I am convinced that the basic teachings of Sunday school are still the most profound things we could ever learn in life. Love your enemies. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And Jesus loves all the children of the world no matter what language they speak, no matter what color they have, no matter where they were born, no matter what kind of God they think they believe in, Jesus loves them. Amen. And here's the last thing. Here's the last thing that I think I get inspired by this page turner of a story. The Holy Spirit's contagious. The Holy Spirit is contagious. The believers carried it with them. As they went, they didn't go alone. They carried the Spirit with them. And wherever you go, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you've received the Spirit of Christ in your life, it goes with you. And as you go, spread the love of Christ. Tell the love of Christ. Bear witness to the love of Christ. Carry the good news of the gospel. Not the bad news that I believe better than you believe and therefore I'm better than you. That's, that's no good news. The good news is there is a God in heaven who loves you, who gave himself for you, who died for you, he rose again for you and he can give you new life too. And I believe and it changed my life and it's still changing my life. And you know what? He can do that for all of us and I believe he can do that for you. That's good news. But to some people that sounds like bad news. You mean I have to give up my addiction. You mean I have to do this? No, you don't have to. You just need to accept Jesus and then live a life that's far better than what you're living now. I'm afraid. You mean I can't give in to my lusts? I can't give in to my greed? I can't. That's, see, see, from that perspective, the good news feels like bad news. But when you get into the good news, it's all good news. 
It's like, I'm free from greed. I'm free from that. I'm free from that. I'm free. And, and man, when you bear witness to that, it's just liberating. Yeah, we're tempted. Yeah, we might fall short. Yeah, but man, you're on the right road. Maybe you're here this morning and you're off of that road. Maybe today's a day for you to get back on that road. Maybe, you can re- maybe you've been baptized years ago and it's like, boy, that's old news and maybe it needs to be new news to you again today. Maybe you've not been and it's time for you to get baptized. But whether you do it literally or, physic- or, or figuratively, and I hope if you've not been baptized since you believe or next time we do baptism, do it. But right now, by faith, you can be baptized into Jesus and say, Jesus, come into my life. Bury me. Bury my old past. I give my life to you. I want to be baptized into you, Jesus. It's, it's the water symbolic of Jesus. I want, to be bapt- I, want to, I want to be raised to a new life. And I need the Holy Spirit in my life. I need it. I need it. I need it. We need it. I want to be a contagious community of people who are so filled with the Holy Spirit that the love of God just pours out of this church, that it pours into one another, and it pours over whatever walls in your world that you think are inseparable. Let God use you. We need the Spirit. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today and you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you've not given your life to Christ, you've not said, Spirit of God, come into my life, now's the time to do it. Don't put it off. I don't know everything there is to know. Well, the Ethiopian and the Samaritans didn't know everything there was to know and it changed their lives. I'm not good enough. I'm too good. No, you're not. No, you're not. We all need it. And it's offered freely to all who would receive. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Spirit of God, fill me. Spirit of God, uh, you know, it's been a long time since I prayed that prayer. Maybe it's time for you to pray it again. Spirit of God, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me. Give me a new perspective. Help me to see others the way you see them. Love others the way you love them. Receive the love you have for me and the grace and mercy you have for me and let me be a person of grace and mercy to others, God. Help me, Jesus. Just reach out to Jesus right now. Spirit of God, come in this place. Come into our hearts. Fill our lives. Fill our lives. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.